of you that are here, remember to change your clock, right? So when we start to leave today, the second group will be coming in. Right? <laughs> All right, we're here to worship the Lord. Also, we'll be singing special music for us a little bit later on. So they are here. So let's stand together. Thank you. 
Ben and Shelby are not here today to run sound, and our second person to run it is not here, and our third person to run it is not here. I'm the fourth. If you would like to be the fourth, you see me after church, and I'll let you do that. And Jeannie, thank you for all that you do. I, I did not mention the time of announcement. Flowers behind me are given in honor of Joyce Gray for her birthday yesterday. And I'm not the one that put the number in the bulletin. I promise I'm not the one. It's on your mind, so I might as well talk about it. Today's news cycle is dominated by one thing, and one thing only. It seems the rise and the spread of the coronavirus. We're going to talk about that today. First reported in Wuhan, China, on December the 31st last year, the last day of 19. COVID-19 has made an impact on our world, and that's an understatement, isn't it? It's been fascinating to watch. The travel industry is suffering. The travel industry. The stock market and the global financial markets have gone a little berserk. As a result, stock and Clorox is up, by the way. <laughs> Coronaviruses aren't anything new. Uh, common throughout the world, it generally causes mild illness, kind of like the common cold. But this new strain has proven a bit more serious. And these statistics came from yesterday afternoon, so it's probably changed by now. Roughly 106,000 cases worldwide and 3,567 deaths worldwide. As of now, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, reports the virus has spread to 100 nations, including the United States, and yes, there are, are cases in Fulton County and Cobb. There have been approximately 400 cases in the United States with 17 deaths and 19 now. Somewhere in there. The World Health Organization declared the outbreak a public health emergency of international concern on January the 30th. And so the media has bombarded us with coronavirus stories for two months now. And as you know, I quit watching TV a few years ago, so I didn't get to see it. And I think I'm better because I haven't. But I had a grandfather tell me his little seven-year-old granddaughter was left in a room unattended that had the TV on showing the news. And she came into the kitchen where the adults were gathered just crying her eyes out that we were all going to die because of the coverage that she had seen on the television. My grandson's school in Nashville was closed Friday, and they closed Monday for deep cleaning. My brother-in-law works in the healthcare industry, nursing homes. His company owns hundreds of them. And he said he's never seen such illogical panic and out-of-perspective reactions. Sales of Corona beer have also plummeted. I'm not making that up. Notice how I transitioned from Corona beer, from my brother-in-law to Corona beer. If he's watching online, he will understand the connection that I just made. Back to the virus. To keep it into some perspective, again, 17, 19 deaths in the United States. In 2017, 
in the USA. 27 people died of lightning strikes. Kidney disease killed 50,633. Flu killed 555,672. Diabetes killed 83,564. Stroke killed 647,457 people in this country in 2017. My bride found this. Coronavirus killed 17 people and we lose our minds. Heart disease is the number one killer in the world and we could put fried chicken between two donuts and sell it as a sandwich. <laughs> and now we're panicked about this. What really set me off about the coronavirus and this stuff going on now is that some Costco's have quit giving out free samples. Now that's just wrong, because that's why I go to Costco, <laughs> for the free samples. It is interesting in our lives. We have been told that we were going to be wiped out by the swine flu and the bird flu and Legionnaire's disease and anthrax and killer bees and tuberculosis and polio and global cooling and global warming, and I'm just scratching the surface of the things that they have bantied about in the past few decades. There's the usual blame gaming of politicians. The Republicans are blaming the Democrats, and the Democrats are blaming the Republicans, and it's a political football that's being kicked around. Some charlatan pastors are saying some really crazy things. A New Zealand pastor claimed that some born-again Christians have special protection from the deadly disease, and he told people at Destiny's South Auckland Center that Satan has control of the atmospheres unless you're born again, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled, and here's the next thing, tithe-paying believer. <laughs> and he's trying to get people to give to the church to protect them from the coronavirus. And that's wrong. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon like this before. Oh, I've addressed current events, but this situation is just a little different and very interesting to me. And one of the differences, and Thomas and I talked about this before Sunday school for a few minutes, is our saturation with media. If something happens and you've got something in your phone that dings and it tells you immediately that that's going on, we see things that happen on all corners of this globe almost instantaneously. But I think the press seems to have gone way more out of their way to just inform us. A relative of mine says it's all political, and I think it's deeper than that. I think in many cases, the press tries to panic us and to make us forget that there's a God in heaven who's in control. I really believe that. So how should we react in this panicked world? Good advice in any situation. You should remember, no matter what you're going through, that God is still on his throne. That God is still in heaven. And he's still in charge. And he's still God. And you, you need to remember that. In 740 B.C., people would freak out then too. The king of Judah died. His name was Uzziah. And in those days, when the king died, 
the kingdom would be up for grabs very often. There could be chaos and political unrest and war. And Uzziah was a pretty good king. And, it was, and the prophet Isaiah writes about his death as chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah begins. And you probably know these words if you're a student of the Bible, and I love them. Isaiah said this, in the year King Uzziah died, when all the stuff could happen, he sees one thing. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. I like what Isaiah saw. And we need to see that too as well. No matter what is going on in history, God on his throne, and don't you ever forget it. For believers, it's a good day for us to remember also that our hope is in God, not in our health, not in our possessions. Psalms 20, verse 7, we looked at this in my Sunday school class this morning. We talked about trust in God. If you don't have a Sunday school class, we start at 9.30. Some start at 9.15. So if you're here by 9.15, we'll find a place for you. But in my class this morning, we look at this verse. Some take pride in chariots, and some in horses. But our pride is in the name of the Lord, our God. For a modern translation, you might put, some take pride in education, and some in finances, but our pride is in the name of our Lord, our God. Some take pride in their health, and some take pride in their connections, or some take pride in this or that. We need to know that our pride, our trust is in the name of our Lord, God. It's important to be reminded that also during this time that worry is not our friend and panic is not our way as believers. Proverbs 24.10, I love this verse, says, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If you fail under pressure, your faith is too small. If you're a worrier, this one's for you. Corey Ten Boom, if you don't know who she is, you need to read about Corey Ten Boom, was one who faced a different kind of virus in this world. History. Hitler and his regime. As a prisoner, Corrie Ten Boom grew a lot in her faith. And she said this, she said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of its strength. And she's right. Empty doesn't worry. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of it's been said that 90% of the things that we worry about and panic about never happen, and the other 10% are outside of our control, so it really doesn't do us any good. It won't change our circumstances or lower our chance of infection. It won't help us fight off illness. In fact, it makes us ill. Worry about corona disease or anything else will only increase our trouble. Rather than worrying or being anxious, Jesus says this. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your Heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And the point is, if 
God so cares wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So if you're a worrier, don't. God's going to take care of you, no matter what. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, about how we should be in this worrying world. As believers, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And I use that verse to segue into the history of our country where people are our world, where people have been light in dark situations. Throughout history, Christians have stood out because they were willing to help the sick and the poor, even during times of pandemics and plagues and persecutions. By stepping into the mess of this world, they're able to shine the light of faith. A plague in AD 251 swept through the Roman Empire, decimating the population. In his Easter letter, nine years later, 260. Dionysius wrote a tribute to the believers whose heroic efforts cost many of them their lives during the plague. A lot of Christians died. Pagans tended to flee the city during the plague, but Christians were more likely to stay and minister to the south. And Dionysius wrote this, and I quote, Most of our brother Christians showed unbonded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Needless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner, a number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendations so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. And they were remembered and the gospel grew because of the church's response in 251. 1,500 years later, the fall of 1793, the city of Philadelphia. The historian Richard Newman wrote that from the moment it began, the yellow fever epidemic was a public health crisis. Thousands of citizens fled, hospitals became overwhelmed, and dead bodies rotted in homes. Richard Allen was an African-American pastor. And it was assumed in the day that people of African descent were immune from yellow fever. That wasn't true, but that's what they thought. And the free black community was approached to help a community that had shunned them up to that point. Richard Allen and his church served the sick when others isolated themselves and ran. Richard Allen lived in a very racist world, and he had been treated very poorly by Philadelphia society. But he never lost sight of the truth, that those around him were lost and needed Jesus, and he had an opportunity to let his light shine in a very dark world. If you haven't heard of Richard Allen, you've probably heard of his church, the AME, drive-by to the AME churches in this country. The African Methodist Episcopal Church grew, and his name is remembered today because of what he did. 
You know, fear can threaten to flood our hearts. It can tempt us to isolate and to hoard things. Have you been to the store lately and seen what has happened? Toilet paper is gone. Water is gone in some stores. Try to find a bottle of Purell or a mask. We live in a world that has become so thinking about themselves they forgot what they could do for others. Thank God for people like Richard Allen. In Wuhan, where all of this mess began the last day of 2019, Wuhan Christians have put the government to shame in their response, evangelizing, helping, and ministering. Christians in Wuhan at the epicenter uh, have spread their faith, and there's been somewhat of a revival. On February the 11th, the New York Times China correspondent Chris Buckley, who'd been reporting on the ground in Wuhan since the lockdown, tweeted that despite the apocalyptic feel of a megacity in quarantine, he was surprised to encounter Christians handing out gospel leaflets packed together with face masks. He said, Wuhan can feel a little end of time. Still, I was surprised to come across Christian evangelists in one neighborhood cheerfully handing out leaflets and flimsy masks. There's the packet that they held out. Mr. Buxley of the New York Times saw quotes of John 3.16 on that pamphlet that was translated to him. Calls for people to turn to Christ. Also in China, many Chinese Christians fasted and prayed for at least three days to seek intervention, divine intervention, in the middle of the crisis. So Christians in Wuhan are the examples and proof that the best qualities of humanity can also come out because of faith, while some show the worst. So as I was preparing for this message, I wondered if there was a scripture I could use about people panicking, maybe needlessly, maybe not. Even people of faith. Because we can. Matthew 8 is what God led me to. You know the story probably very well. A windstorm arose on the sea. So great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. And they, the disciples, went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. The boat's going to sink, we're going to drown, we're going to die, it's bad. And he said to them, why are you afraid of little faith? Then he got out and rebuked the wind and the sea. And then there was a dead calm. One of the things that you need to remember about the disciples, before they became disciples, most of them were fishermen. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Thomas, Nathaniel, and Philip may have also worked as fishermen. That's more than half. The others had traveled in boats many times. They're likely on the Sea of Galilee. And wind can blow through the valleys and hit that water, which at one moment is smooth as glass, and then all of a sudden there's white caps. But there they are with Jesus, who's sleeping because he's fine. Panicking. 
it hit me with maybe half of them, more than half fishermen. Why did they think they were about to drown? Hadn't they been in storms before? Sure they had. This was just another storm. But they grew it way out of proportion. They ran to Jesus who was sleeping and begging to save them from drowning. Why is it that we run towards the worst possible conclusions in our minds sometimes? They might get wet. They might have to bat some water out of the boat, but they panicked. Why did we panic? Why did they? When they got back to shore, did they buy all the life jackets they could find and pour it up on those? Did they refuse to travel by boat ever again? Did they stay in the house and lock their doors? Were they paralyzed with fear? I think Jesus hit the nail on the head when in verse 26 he said to them, Why are you afraid, you little faith? Why are you afraid, you little faith? And then Jesus, God in human flesh, looked at the wind and the sea and said, We are going to sing a hymn of invitation this morning, a time for us to just reaffirm our faith and trust God. We will open the doors of our church if God is leading you to join with us. You're more than welcome to do that at this time. If you want to come pray here at the altar, you're welcome to. If you want to pray for you, that is great too. It's just a time for us to trust God. Let's stand and sing.
like they did to run to you. But unlike them, help us to not expect the worst. But help us to know where to go. And that is perfect. Father, in this world that needs solid examples, let us stand firm. And when people ask, how can you do that? Well, then we get to brag on Jesus, not on ourselves. Father, we ask.